from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odestulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. Welcome to A Baha'i Perspective. I recorded an interview with Richard Thomas on May 7, 2018. Richard is Professor Emeritus at Michigan State University. He co-authored and co-edited with Gwendolyn Etter-Lewis the book Lights of the Spirit, Historical Portraits of Black Baha'is in North America, 1898-2000. Their work uncovers the role played by black people in the emergence of the Baha'i faith in North America. Drawing on a wide range of sources, including personal essays, letters, and journals, it offers a fascinating glimpse into the lives of some extraordinary individuals. I have Richard read excerpts from the book in the interview. I started the interview by asking Richard where he grew up and what was religious life like growing up. So I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, and I was a member of the uh, Friendship Baptist Church in my neighborhood up until the time I was about 21. That's when I started searching and ran into the Baha'is and became a Baha'i when I turned 22. In fact, that was probably 1962. I had grown a bit dissatisfied, probably a lot, uh, you know, with my church and probably with Christianity in particular, because I was, you know, I was having problems with some of the theological concepts. And plus, I had gone overseas and spent time in the, in, the, uh, in the Far East and Japan and Okinawa and the Philippines, but particularly uh, Okinawa, about nine months in Okinawa. I remember when I returned home and I was talking to some people, members of my church, they had mentioned that these people uh, would probably go to hell. And I, I couldn't buy that. I said, these, these are very great people. So, you know, wonderful souls. Why should they have to go to hell? So I started really exploring different uh, religions. How is it that you ran into the Baha'i faith? I was hanging out, you know, after I, I got out, out of the, the Marine Corps, I was hanging out with a group of guys in a, a boarding room house. There was this, uh, this white guy, graduate student from Wayne State. He showed up and he, he, he needed a room and he started telling us about this weird religion. At the time I was writing poetry, and he told me about a poet named Margaret Danner. I had never heard of her, but by that time she was a very famous poet. She was poet in resident at Wayne State University and had been assistant editor of Poetry Magazine at the time. And so he said, you should meet her. And of course I, I went to meet her. She also was mentioning this strange religion that I wasn't particularly interested in. Uh, she lived in a house owned by another Baha'i fairly affluent African-American behind. She was also African-American. That woman really took a liking to me, started inviting me to things and telling me about uh, the Baha'i faith and, and what have you. At one point, I was thinking about going into the ministry. And I think that probably alarmed her. <laughs> <laughs> and very gently and sweetly, she started telling me about the Baha'i faith, introducing me to a a whole bunch of people taking me up to the Baha'i Retreat Center at New Helen, 
in Davidson, Michigan. And one thing led to the next. And I remember she also took several of us to the Baha'i Temple, which was obviously, that obviously made an incredible impression on me. So you're speaking of the Baha'i House of Worship in Wilmette, Illinois. Yes, yes, the Baha'i House of Worship in in Wilmette. So it's interesting, Richard, that even though you were somewhat disillusioned with the church, you still were considering going into the ministry? Yeah, yeah, that was an interesting contradiction. I think probably what happened, just to back up a bit, in my spiritual search, I had considered the possibility of the ministry, nothing probably seriously, but during that transition, you know, I was thinking about it, but I still had those questions about Christianity. I had, years earlier, I had read about the, the Dead Sea Scrolls, you know, how there were groups during the time of Jesus who shared some of the same beliefs. Uh, and then I started reading other things. I was gradually losing faith in Christianity. And so by that time, I just forgot about that whole notion about joining the ministry. Also at that time, there were people associated with the Nation of Islam, commonly called back then the Black Muslims. Some of those folk were trying to recruit me as well. One of them was a, a very good friend of my spiritual mother. It was an interesting contest as you know, some of those folk tried to get me to join the Nation of Islam. And Mama Noni was trying to, to get me to become a Baha'i. And of course, I decided to join the faith. Yeah, so tell me, Richard, what was it that turned you in one direction rather than the other? I think at that time, I had serious problems about some of the theology of the Nation of Islam, you know, where they were calling white folks the devil, you know, other aspects of their theology, considering their leader, Elijah Muhammad, to be, uh, you know, a prophet. So, I, I, you know, I was having serious problems with that. The black nationalist aspect of it was a little disturbing. I think earlier I had run into some of them when I was in the service, teenage Marine back in the 50s. I didn't understand it quite as much as I would later on. So it, w- it was a tug of war in some aspects between uh, the Nation of Islam and, and the Baha'i Faith. But Baha'i Faith won out mainly because I was very attracted to the multiracial fellowship as I read books like Thief of the Night, I can recall where I was just before I became a Baha'i, and I was reading Thief of the Night and reading some of those prophecies, and it blew my mind. I, I remember sitting at my mother's uh, kitchen table and saying, oh, my goodness, if the spirit of Christ has returned and I don't know about it, I'm, and I'm supposed to be a halfway decent Christian, and if these other Christians, they don't know about it, God, something must be wrong. After that, I was really convinced, you know, you haven't been a Christian for so many years, you know, those kinds of prophecies can get to you. But also the fellowship made a big difference as well, you know, the interracial fellowship. So your experience growing up in the African-American community and then going into the service, which I would imagine was your first big exposure to interracial situation, would, would that be well, accurate, Richard? Oh, very accurate, because I, I lived in an all-black neighborhood. I went to an all-black school. I attended an all-black church. Mm-hmm. And so at 18, a year after graduating from high school, I joined 
1957. Absolutely, that was my first exposure. The reason I bring it up is because for some, you know, what the Nation of Islam provided was a sense of self-respect and a community in which they felt supported rather than rejected from the outside white dominant culture, whereas you seem to have been attracted to the racial unity aspect of a community rather than strictly a black-oriented community that inculcated respect and accomplishment. It was a lot deeper than that because I had already been involved in the black church. So, you know, I got a lot of uh, spiritual and racial affirmation from the black church that I'd been in all my life. I think the thing that, as you probably know, there was always that tension between black Christians and the nation of Islam, Mm -hmm. you know, over theology and, 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 and other things. Even though I had very close friends who were members of the nation of Islam, we just had some problems with the theology. Of course, you had some people who obviously felt connected with the community and black pride and all of that. But at the same time, you had some some people, African-Americans, uh, who questioned some of the aspects of the theology. That was a big problem. Notwithstanding the fact, like I said, I had friends, very close friends, uh, who were members of the, the nation. And there were times when, you know, we would sit around and we would talk about uh, the Baha'i faith and, and talk about the nation of Islam. But we had different perspectives on what constituted a prophet. And also, you have to remember at this time, even though, uh, you know, many of us admired Malcolm X, you know, I, I remember when his book came out, buying it. And I remember going to meetings and hearing him speak. And he was obviously a hero to all of us. And so his his rhetoric and his, his approach to race in America, we accepted that. You could easily accept that, yet at the same time not accept the theology. And so that was the most important thing. So I'm speaking with Richard Thomas, professor emeritus at Michigan State University. He's author of several books on the subject of race unity, and his latest work with Gwendolyn Etter-Lewis, they co-wrote and co-edited Lights of the Spirit, Historical Portraits of Black Baha'is in North America, 1898-2000. So would you say the Baha'i faith gave you direction in focusing on racial unity? Yes. There were several experiences that really helped me to think about how I wanted to structure my career. In fact, after 38 years of teaching, one of the last courses I taught at Michigan State University had a title, something like The Making of a Multiracial Community, Case Study of the Baha'i Faith in the U.S. And basically, I was looking at the efforts that the Baha'i Faith had gone through, some of the conflicts and challenges and what have you, that it had gone through in its attempt to build a multiracial, multiethnic, a religious community. So that really was a culmination of over 30 years of teaching. And when I first started teaching in 71, by that time I had been a Baha'i for several years and it had certain kinds of experiences that really 
intrigued me. One was that in 1964, I went south to join a, a interracial group of Baha'i youth to work with kids in Orangeburg, South Carolina, who were about to integrate. I'm sorry, Greenville, South Carolina, who were about to, to integrate the schools. I taught a remedial history course of sorts in the library, what was in the segregated library in Greenville, South Carolina, you see, uh, to these uh, these kids. Well, when I got there, I thought that I was going to stay with an African-American couple, but I was told that the white Baha'i from the North were staying with the African-American Baha'is and that the black Baha'is visiting would stay with a, with a white family, white Baha'i family. And that was shocking. This was in Greenville, South Carolina, the home of Bob Jones University. And they had a Klan group there. It, so it was scary at one point. And yet that community, that Baha'i community was racially integrated. They had racially integrated meetings and they had been involved in racial integration for many years. When I returned home, I remember sharing that experience with uh, some of the Baha'is uh, in Detroit. Did you get any community backlash as a result of that integrated experience? Absolutely. The community had been experiencing several problems for a decade, but they continued. I remember uh, this family, uh, the Benson family. She was a pediatrician. The husband was a, a lawyer and uh, had a reputation of really supporting African-Americans, both of them. And I think that he was probably one of the first white lawyers to hire a black secretary. But anyway, I can recall it was difficult for him to, you know, at times to make a living. And I remember going out on a picnic with them. And I particularly did not want to go out on a picnic with this white family. You know, I was still kind of intimidated by what was going on. And I remember she, the woman just, very plainly said, you know, Richard, we're not trying to be exhibitionists. So, you know, we're not, you know, radical or anything. This is our faith. You know, this is, you know, we have interracial picnics, <laughs> you see. And just one funny thing I can recall when I first started living with them, I think I was there for about five weeks. You know, I remember she said that they would always leave the door open in case Some people came by and couldn't find a place to stay. And I was so, so, so nervous. And I remember one day, one night, just going downstairs and locking the door. Uh, (laughs) It was not. (laughs) You got to remember you were from Detroit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I just figured, you know, you know, what if some racist came in here? But, you know, what she was trying to explain to me was that, well, you know, in case some of the black Baha'is or the white Baha'is came through, you know, they need to have a place to stay. And then I remember going to the to the black couple where the white kids were staying and asking them if I could stay with them instead of with the white couple. Because I said, you know, I'm from from Detroit and this is the first time that I've been in the South for any length of time. And so this is a this is kind of strange. Wouldn't it be better if I stayed with the with you guys? Mm-hmm. And I never will forget this man, Mr. Abercrombie, Charles Abercrombie. He said, no, 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 no. You got to stay over there. This is how we do things in the Baha'i community here. It's part of the work. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine it was scary. So I'm speaking with Richard Thomas, professor emeritus at Michigan State University, author of several books 
on the subject of race unity. His latest work with Gwendolyn Etter-Lewis, where they both co-wrote and co-edited Lights of the Spirit, Historical Portraits of Black Baha'is in North America, 1898 to 2000. So let's talk about that work, Richard. What inspired you and Gwendolyn to create this work? Well, Gwendolyn and, and I had been talking about this for some time. Actually, we started the project years earlier, went back and forth, and we finally finished it. But Gwen and I both had been doing research on Baha'is of African descent. At one point, I had gone to the Schoenberg. I was invited to the Schoenberg collection in New York, Harlem. I forget what it was. It was sort of a, a conference on different religious faith in which African-Americans were involved. And so I gave a talk on African-American Baha'is. And a lot of people were very surprised that there were uh, black Baha'is. And then later on, I was concerned about the fact that there simply was not a lot of material on uh, African-American Baha'is. There was only one book out at that time. That's one thing that inspired me. And plus, I was also part of a PhD program in comparative black history at Michigan State that had been started by Darlene Clark Hines. I wanted people in the comparative black history program to know something about black Baha'is, you see. And so that was one of the reasons why, you know, I got involved in Gwen Lewis had been doing research on black Baha'i women for some time, you see. And we had known each other for years. And so uh, we were a great fit. So I'm speaking with Richard Thomas, professor emeritus at Michigan State University, author of several books on the subject of race unity. And we're talking about the latest work that he's co-authored, co-edited with Gwendolyn Etter-Lewis called Lights of the Spirit, Historical Portraits of Black Baha'is in North America. I'm just wondering, Richard, if you could give us a taste of a portrait of one of the black figures that you feature in the book to get people a sense of what they can expect when they read the book. There are several. I guess what I was thinking about is Louis Gregory was one of the first African-American Baha'is. He went to Howard University. He was a lawyer. He sacrificed just a, a great deal. Uh, to be a Baha'i. He became a Baha'i in about 1909, thereabouts. And he uh, visited Abdu Baha, the son of, of Baha'u'llah, and, and he was uh, the leader of the Baha'i faith up until 1921 when he passed. And when you think of the sacrifices of this, this young man, you know, at the time who uh, decided to become a member of this faith, he played a very important role in promoting racial unity. In 1912, when Abdu'l-Bahá visited the U.S., he married Louis Gregory and Louisa Matthews, who was an English Baha'i, to uh, demonstrate the Baha'i belief in interracial unity, first interracial marriage in the, uh, the Baha'i community. You know, he is obviously one of the great uh, African-American figures. You know, Abdu'l-Bahá, there's a quote where he said, Baha'u'llah once compared the colored people to the black people of the eye surrounded by the white. In this black people, you see the reflection 
of that which is before it, and through it, the light of the Spirit shining forth. And the reason why this has always had an impact on me is because of what it meant for the self-image, you know, of Black Baha'is. And so I had a quote here. There's a chapter, chapter two, that says, the pupil of the eye, African-Americans, and the making of the American Baha'i community. And if you don't mind, I, maybe I could just read a quick excerpt. Please, please, Richard. Okay. I write in the book that notwithstanding the growing influence of the ideology of white supremacy in the United States, Europe, and colonial Africa, with its emphasis upon the inferiority of blacks, the prophet founder of the Baha'i faith, quote, compared the the colored people to the black people of the eye, surrounded by the white. And the black people, he declared, is seeing the reflection of that which is before it, and through it the light of the spirit shines forth. End of quote. And then I go on to say that the spiritual description of colored people, later to be applied mainly to people of African descent, soon became the cornerstone of Baha'i teachings on the spiritual qualities of black people and their historical role in the growth and expansion of the uh, Baha'i faith. The association of people of African descent with the pupil of the eye has had far-reaching positive implications for Black Baha'is throughout the diaspora. Along with other Baha'i teachings, this image of them as a pupil of the eye greatly enhanced their sense of racial pride and connection to a worldwide religious movement dedicated to the unification of all races, nations, and religion. It also challenged racist images and stereotypes of black people and encouraged a radical reevaluation and transformation of traditional white racial thinking within the Baha'i community. You know, that to me is probably one of the most important aspects of this book. You know, we talk about lights of the spirit, you see. Just the idea that a prophet of God said that about African-Americans or black people in general is very impactful, very important. And over the the decades, that has been one of the ways that people of African descent throughout the diaspora, who are Baha'is, have identified themselves. I'm speaking with Richard Thomas, professor emeritus at Michigan State University, author of several books on the subject of race unity, and we're talking about his latest work with Gwendolyn Eder-Lewis, where they both co-wrote and co-edited Lights of the Spirit, Historical Portraits of Black Baha'is in North America, 1898 to 2000. Richard, I think you were going to talk about another figure that you guys did a portrait of. Yes. One of the people that I wanted to mention was a woman by the name of Coralie Franklin Cook. This is a letter that she sent to uh, Abdu'l-Bahá back in March of 1914. And she talked about how she was very concerned about the state of race relations in the country in general and the role that the Baha'i faith could play in addressing it. You know, she wrote this very moving letter that she sent And in it, she expressed her feelings about race relations in the southern states, as well as the north. She talks about the reaction of people to mixed marriages. In fact, she says no phase of the color question excites so much rancor and misrepresentation 
as the one of mixed marriage. It is constantly made use of by all classes of whites, from the statement to the black, and now includes some so-called Baha'is. She's talking about the controversy around mixed marriages. The fascinating thing about this, this is in 1914. Two years earlier, Abdu'l-Baha had married Louis Gregory and Louisa Matthews. This obviously made a big impression on Mrs. Cook, which probably encouraged her, obviously, to write to Abdu'l-Baha and just to share her assessment of the state of race relations and how much confidence she had in the Baha'i faith. One of the last things she says is, every noble principle, every lofty ideal, every rule of conduct in the Baha'i faith can be defended by passages of our own Bible. The faith is seeking followers at a time when it would seem as if the universe itself were challenged to choose between peace and war, brotherhood and disillusion, right and wrong. It is not plain to all that the test is crucial and that the times are so momentous that what might seem for the present put back the cause of Baha'i may be in reality the one thing that will put world progress forward immeasurably. And so here, 1914, two years after Abdu'l-Baha visited the U.S. and spoke at places like Howard University and at the NAACP and other gatherings of blacks and whites, you get this letter from Coralie Cook who uh, at one point taught at, at Howard University, probably played a role in, in inviting Abdu'l-Baha to give a talk there in 1912. And you get this letter, very inspiring letter, you see, where she talks about the state of racial relations and basically expresses her faith in the potential of the Baha'i community to address these issues. So I'm speaking with Richard Thomas, Professor Emeritus at Michigan State University, author of several books on the subject of race unity, and we're talking about his latest work, co-authored and co-edited with Gwendolyn Eder-Lewis, called Lights of the Spirit, Historical Portraits of Black Baha'is in North America, 1898 and 2000. And he was just reading from a historical letter from a, a black woman by the name of Cora Cook, who had taught at Howard University. You had mentioned, Richard, how she talks about how important it was if we were going to either be a civilization of war or a civilization of peace. I mean, you didn't say it that way, but it's sort of what I took from it. You know, you had a, a lot of this terrible racial violence taking place in the South. And so she was obviously concerned. You know, she was one of several women in the book that we feature, you know, Sadie Oglesby in 1927. She was the first African-American to visit Shoghi Effendi, who after Abdu'l-Baha's death in 1921, he became the guardian of the faith. He was the grandson of Abdu'l-Baha. And so when she visited along with other pilgrims in Haifa, Israel, she was surprised when he started asking right away, how many blacks are in the Baha'i faith, you see? Right away started focusing on the racial issue, you see? And wanted to know what she was doing 
to address that. And at one point when she mentioned that, well, you know, my husband is really excited about that. And and so I don't get as excited. Basically, that's what she was saying. <laughs> and Shoki Effendi said, no, 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 no. You've got to really move forward on this. You know, at that meeting, because there were white Baha'is there as well, you know, white American Baha'is. And she was probably the only African-American behind there, if I'm not mistaken. He made it very clear that the racial thing was crucial and that they had to address it and that blacks shouldn't be reluctant about pushing forward on this issue. And so she felt a little embarrassed because, you know, being the only black at the gathering, probably around the table, he was really pushing for people to address this racial issue. So the book has several pieces on black women. We've got Elsie Austin, we've got uh, Coralie Franklin Cook, and we've got Bonnie Fitzpatrick Moore. I met her in South Africa. She went to South Africa many, many years ago, and I visited her there. And then we've got Zampa Map Robinson, Adrian Reeds, Linda Martin. So we've got about five or six African-American Baha'i women uh, in the book that gives it a very important perspective. So I'm speaking with Richard Thomas, professor emeritus at Michigan State University, author of several books on the subject of race unity, and his latest work with Gwendolyn Etter-Lewis, where they both co-wrote and co-edited the book Lights of the Spirit, Historical Portraits of Black Baha'is in North America, 1898 to 2000. Richard, do you have one more excerpt that you'd like to share with us? Yes, this is an excerpt from a piece that Gwenetta wrote. Uh, this is really a very moving piece. It's about Dorothy Champ, and I'll just read this expert. It is not possible to talk about artistic expression without including Dorothy Champ, a Broadway dancer and actress who gave up her career when she became a Baha'i in 1919. In that same year, she became the first African-American elected to the Spiritual Assembly of the Baha'is of New York City. She was a member of the Actors' Equity Association and appeared in the Broadway production of Green Pastures and Love in a Cottage. In spite of her professional success, she found greater fulfillment in the Baha'i faith and decided to commit herself full-time to Baha'i activities. She was described in a 1942 article as extremely modest, and her devotion to the Baha'i faith was illustrated by her own words quoted in the same article, quote, all my life I sought a religion which could answer the questions and problems of day-to-day living, and it was not until I found the Baha'i faith that I found an answer. She reminds me of Dizzy Gillespie, as you know, was a Baha'i, you see, and the influence that the Baha'i faith had on his life. So I'm speaking with Richard Thomas, professor emeritus at Michigan State University, author of several books on the subject of race unity, and we're talking about his latest work with Gwendolyn Etter-Lewis, where they co-wrote and co-edited Lights of the Spirit, Historical Portraits of Black Baha'is in North America, 1898 to 2000. Richard, where can folks find your book? Well, they can get it on Amazon. It's published by the Baha'i Publishing Trust of the United States. 
you know, hopefully uh, this book will be a contribution to the broad field of African-American religious history. You know, I just have to add this, not to jump on any other scholars, <laughs> but one of the things that I was particularly concerned about, and one reason why we wrote this book, is because even in, in books that were written about African-American religion, you know, for one book, you know, African-American religious history documentary, Witness, was written in 1985. It didn't include anything about the Baha'i faith. I can recall the late C. Eric Lincoln, you know, meeting him years ago and asking why in his book, Race, Religion, and the Continuing American Dilemma, he uh, discussed African-American Muslims and and even referred to African-Americans in the Mormon church and didn't say very much or anything about the Baha'i faith. He just neglected African-Americans in the Baha'i faith. You know, we talk about how that was problematic because while you had the Mormons up until 1978 banning African-Americans from the priesthood and denigrating blacks as a race, this is what Lincoln had said, the Baha'i faith uh, elevated blacks and referred to them as people of the eye. You see, that was very problematic that this great scholar didn't include the Baha'i, given the fact that he talked a great deal about other religions and how they related to, you know, to African Americans. And there were other scholars that did the, the same thing. We mentioned them in the, you know, in the book, several of them basically saying, saying that we just don't understand why, you know, African American Baha'is weren't included. We go on to say that this book is designed to fill the gap created by previous studies and that this book is the first of its kind, you see. And so that was another reason why Gwenera Lewis and I decided that this book was very important. Richard, I want to thank you so much for sharing this important work with us. Well, thank you. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Richard Thomas, professor emeritus at Michigan State University and author of several books on the subject of race unity. His latest work with Gwendolyn Etter-Lewis is entitled Lights of the Spirit, Historical Portraits of Black Baha'is in North America, 1898-2000. You can find the book at bahaibookstore.com. You can find this interview and other interviews at abahaiperspective.com. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching for A Baha'i Perspective. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website baha'i.org, or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective. me black
If I had stopped to listen once or twice If I had closed my mouth and opened my eyes If I had cooled my head and warmed my heart I'd not be
trying to teach your way I'm a walking contradiction But I'm asking that you take this ball of clay Myself look alive, I will die in you. Just chill and relax my mind But my heart can't see through the pain You know I can't see through the rain And the stain on the frame So I look inside and I hear a voice say If you love me, turn away So I turn away from myself I'll stay forever like this Through the night, through the day I learn that better things come my way If I die in him and begin to pray So it's clear with no tears and no fear We don't need to wait around for heaven to appear Cause it's right inside so come on everybody look alive
This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org.